Well, it is uh, great to see you um, once again, uh, albeit through a screen. Um, I hope you Providence family are having a good morning. I want to thank you so much uh, for your faithfulness. I want you to know that every time I think about you, I thank God for you. And I can only imagine on the basis of what I read in the Bible, uh, what sometimes comes out of your mouth, our mouth, as people of faith, and that is, God, how long? How long is this going to last? How long will we have to live like this? It's a natural thing uh, to flow out of the hearts of people who believe that God is at work in the world. And what's interesting is that every time we say the words, God, how long until you intervene, until you save, until you rescue, we echo words that have been said to the Lord over and over and over through time. What's interesting is that the Bible tells us is that it is not our task to know such things. Instead, it is during those times when we want to know how long to lean into the Lord and to draw near to him in faith and to be faithful with what we know, to love people well, to share of Jesus Christ who drew near to us and to enjoy what we can enjoy, even when we do not understand what we cannot understand. And so Providence family, I want you to know that I am praying for you, that you will be faithful, that God will feed you, that he will strengthen you, that he will give you hope even this week. And for those of you who are here um, uh, who uh, are not in our family. Uh, we know that there are a lot of people in this season, really not only in Raleigh, but in our state and around the world who are watching. And if you're a guest with us, we are thrilled that you have joined us. I hope that this time will be encouraging to you. And I want you to know that if you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord, our prayer is that over the next 30 minutes is that you will come face to face with Jesus Christ, and you will see in Christ somebody worth trusting, somebody who loves you deeply. You see, for each and every one of us, we all know that there's fear in our heart, and we know that during seasons of uncertainty, it's only natural for us to look for something that is certain. And sometimes we even see other people who look certain in things even in Jesus Christ. And so if you do not know Christ as your Savior and Lord, I imagine that this time leads you to be curious about Christ, about who he is, what he said while he was on the earth, what he did while he was on the earth, and why people all around the world for thousands of years have chosen to follow him in faith. You see, it's interesting that this virus is leveling so many of the great columns in the world that give us security. And what we find within the Bible is that when this takes place, when our places of security are shaken, we're told in Hebrews chapter 12 that God is using these times to actually shake all that can be shaken in order to prove what can never be shaken. And that is that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask all of you to turn to John chapter 19. But before we do, I'd love to pray for you. Father in heaven, we need your help. And I pray now that as we open up your word and as we see, Jesus, what you said on the cross when you were making the 
supreme sacrifice for us in love. God, I pray for those who know you as Savior and Lord, who, who feel insecure and restless during this time. I pray, Father, that you would be what you promised to be in their life as they trusted you, that you would be to them a very present help in trouble. And I pray for those that are considering Christ, who are curious about what's happening in the world and what you're doing in the world. I pray, Father, that you would help them to see now in the pages of your Bible what you have said to them and what you have done for them in meeting our greatest needs, even in your greatest pain. And so we look to you in faith. Would you speak through weakness? I pray even for a supernatural calm just to fall upon the homes and the hearts of kids that would allow everybody to focus for these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John chapter 19, I would love for you there in your home to actually turn there if you can. Uh, John chapter 19, in a moment, I'm going to read verse 28, but we're in a series, it's called The Seven. If you think about all the needs in life, were we to make a list of everything that is a significant need in the heart of of all humanity, we would form a really long list. But if we were to condense those to the deepest of all, I believe that seven would remain. And what we find in the Bible is that Jesus Christ is fully aware of what those seven are. For when he was on the cross, he is recorded in the Bible of saying seven different things and each time making provision for one of our greatest needs. Over the last several weeks, we have looked at our needs of forgiveness and security to belong and to be accepted. And here this morning, I want to talk about the need that we have within our heart for satisfaction, in particular within the soul, within our heart, that we would be soul satisfied. Every single one of us, we can think of a time in life when we were exceptionally thirsty. We all know that moment when our thirst, whether it came from yard work or running or basketball or or at some place in time, you were really thirsty and suddenly you had in your hand, like this man, a bottle of water. And suddenly you began taking these enormous gulps, aggressive gulps of water, wanting to get air and yet wanting to get more and more water. And suddenly those big aggressive gulps, they turn into average gulps. And finally, you take that last swallow and then you lower the bottle, and then for a second or two, you exhale. And for that second or two, everything is right in the world. It's interesting how powerful thirst is, is that when you're thirsty enough, very little else matters in the world. And in that moment when that thirst is satisfied deeply, in that second or two, when water satisfies our thirst, it seems as though, even for a second, that all of our problems, our financial problems, our physical problems, our marital problems. For a moment, we forget about all those things simply because of how satisfied we are. For those two seconds, everything is right in the world. For those two seconds, we are satisfied. Now, just imagine that feeling, that feeling actually coursing through your entire mind, your entire heart, your entire body and lasting forever. You see, the good news that we find within the scriptures is that one day we will not have to imagine for on the cross, Jesus made a way to meet this need in us and to meet it forever. 
So in John chapter 19, if you actually just sort of look up in verse 16, it says that they took Jesus and it says they went out and he bore his own cross and they went up to a place and there they crucified Jesus Christ. And then our text says that the Jews began arguing with Pilate over what should be written on the placard over his head that said King of the Jews. And then it says that Jesus looked down and he saw soldiers actually taking the garments that were at one time on his body. Now he is humiliated in front of everybody and he's watching them cast lots for those garments. He sees his mother and he sees one of his followers. His name was John. And he connects them together so that they have a family, so that they have a sense of belonging. And then in verse 28, he says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. It goes on to actually tell us how close he was at this moment to dying for once he took some of the wine, he said one other thing, it is finished. And then John's gospel says that he bows his head and he dies. So these words, I thirst, they come near the very end, almost at the very end of his life. They're so significant because they meet such a significant need. And so what I want to do is just show you a few things Simple truths. And I hope that you'll think about these things today and even this week. The first truth that we see here is that Jesus suffered the deepest thirst. We've all been thirsty, but very few people have been thirsty like Jesus was here thirsty. He suffered the deepest thirst. And I want you to think about the irony of this moment. You see, this is the maker of every sea and lake and river and raindrop. Every droplet of water in the entire world was created by the man who said, I thirst. This is the one who brought forth enough water out of a rock in the desert to satisfy the thirst of an entire nation. And this is the one who said, I thirst. This is the one who actually spoke these words. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And now Jesus himself says, I thirst. Has anyone ever been thirstier? You see, when we think about the cross and we think about the suffering of Jesus Christ, oftentimes what we do is we think of the different elements of pain that he experienced, like the scourging and the nails and the whips and the crown of thorn. And very rarely do we actually think as part of the pain that he experienced being thirsty. And yet I want you to imagine just how thirsty he was. The night before he was arrested, you remember he was in a garden. And it says that there he spent the entire night in such agonizing prayer that sweat and blood began to come out of his pores, dropping down onto the ground. And he had no water. Well, then an army came and arrested him and bound him and brought him. And there he stood on trial through the early mornings of the night, literally in the middle of the night without water as people accused him of crimes that he did not commit. And he did so without water. And then the Bible says that he was condemned as a blasphemer. He was brought to Pilate. They asked for Pilate to kill him. 
And then he went on trial again before Pilate. And throughout that day, there was no water. And then he was given over to be crucified. He was scourged to such an extent that an enormous amount of the blood within his body left him. You think about how much sweating and how much bleeding Jesus did and how dry his mouth must have been. And then they forced Jesus to carry a cross up a hill until he collapsed. And he did so without water. And then it says he was nailed to his cross. He was hoisted up into the air. And then for a matter of hours, the dusty air that his lungs were able to draw in and out had to pass in and out through his mouth that was already dry and parched. You think about the thirst that Jesus must have experienced at this point in time. His mouth must have felt like an oven. And if his mouth felt like an oven, I can only imagine like this picture that his soul felt like a desert. You see, when you think about that throughout the Bible, there are other images of people who were carrying different things and feeling thirsty. One of them was a man named David. And when David was sinning against God and he felt the weight of his own guilt upon his own heart, in Psalm 32, verse four, David cried out, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, if this was true for David, who was only carrying the sin and guilt of his own life, can you imagine the dryness within Jesus' soul as he carried all the sins of all the people in all of the earth? I mean, has anybody in the history of the world ever needed a glass of water more than this man right now? You see, Jesus was drying up. But he was drying up just as was promised. For a thousand years before Jesus hung on this cross, Psalm 22 is written about the Messiah who would come. And it says of him there, he says, I am poured out like water and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You see, this is Jesus. He suffered the deepest thirst. Not only that, I want you to see here that Jesus suffered the deepest thirst to fulfill scripture. He not only was thirsty, but he was thirsty for a purpose. It wasn't an accidental thirst. It wasn't a plan gone awry. It was an intentional thirst that he allowed himself to suffer in order to do something specific. And in this case, I want you to consider how deeply he must have wanted to fulfill the scriptures. You see, we're told in both Matthew and Mark that when Jesus arrived at this hill called Golgotha, that before they nailed his hands and feet, that the Romans offered Jesus wine that was mixed with gall. Now, we don't know exactly what that is, but we believe it was some sort of sedative. It was some way to dull the pain that he was about to experience. And both Matthew and Mark, they tell us that Jesus refused that cup of sour wine specifically to be able to experience the full brunt of pain on that cross for us. And yet now here, roughly six hours later, after Jesus has been hanging on this cross and trying to breathe and trying to minister and meet needs by the words that he's speaking with his mouth, Jesus Christ, 
he says something and he says, I thirst. Now, why now would he ask to drink? Why not six hours ago and why now? Well, we know why six hours ago he said no, because he wanted for our sake to be able to experience and drink the entire cup of God's wrath that should have been poured out to us that he took as a substitute for us. But why here? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, it says of Jesus Christ that he says, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. In other words, that when you look at the book, and that's the Bible, is that there are prophecies about Christ, what he would go through and what he would experience that were given to the people so that when we would open up the Bible and read, we would know who it is that we're looking for. We would see the clues. We would see the breadcrumbs. We would see all the promises and then all the fulfillments, and it would lead our heart to say, this must be the one. This has to be the one. And when you look at what the Bible says of the Christ, what, would, what he would experience, this book says that he would enter into Jerusalem on a colt. It says that he would be betrayed by a friend and he would be despised and mocked, that he would be silent before his accusers, that he would be scourged with a whip upon his back, that he would be pierced in his hands and his feet. And that he would literally see men from the cross casting lots for his own clothing. But the Bible says that there was just one left. There was just one promise left that had to be fulfilled. And that's why it says, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished. In other words, all the promises have been fulfilled. Every prophecy about me has now been fulfilled. It is now time. And he says, in order to fulfill the scripture, he said one last thing. He said, this must be said and this must be done. And he's referring to Psalm 69 verse 21 where it says, of the Christ, for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. You see, Jesus grew thirsty in order to fulfill the book. And I know that this may seem small to you. I mean, if Jesus had not said this, had he not taken this wine, you probably and I probably would not say, you know, I would have trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, but he didn't take the wine like Psalm 69 says that he would. No, what Jesus was doing was removing all doubt. Jesus did this to prove his own faithfulness to his promises to us. You see, he knew that one day that we would land in a place where we would feel utterly cut off. He knew that we would get to a place in our marriage where we saw no hope. He knew that we would get to a place with our children where we felt no hope. He knew that we would receive a diagnosis from a doctor that would remove all hope. He knew that we would get to places in life that would be such difficult places and that we would open up his book and we would see different promises and we would ask the question, could God, will God, in this great big world, with all these people, could he actually be faithful to this promise in my life? He knew we would be wondering if he really is a very present help in times of trouble. 
And so do you see what he did here on the cross? He left no doubt in order to remove our doubt. That Jesus Christ, he not only suffered the deepest thirst, but he suffered the deepest thirst, first of all, to fulfill the scriptures in order to give us confidence that when we're going through a difficult time, then we can look to the Bible and we can look to his character and we can say, I know he is going to make good on his promise. I want you to know there's nothing, including a Roman cross, that can deter his faithfulness to you in his word. We know that for certain because he says, I thirst. And so he suffered a deep thirst and he suffered the deepest thirst to fulfill scripture. But there's another reason he did this. And it's the last thing I want to show you. And that is that Jesus suffered the deepest thirst to satisfy our soul forever, forever. You see, within moments of our birth, our body craves liquid and our soul craves God. This is true of every single baby. Almost immediately, we need liquid. And every single human immediately needs God. You look through the pages of scripture and we find this craving in the hearts of people who just know that satisfaction is found in God, such as David when he writes in Psalm 42, verse 1, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. He's saying, God, I know that all of the dissatisfaction in my heart is primarily based because I have not come to you. But like a deer who is so thirsty, but he finds this stream He says, I simply know, I know, I know, I know. I know that you are the one who can satisfy my soul. But the problem that we find within the Bible is that our heart is absolutely committed to satisfying this thirst anywhere but God. We will look anywhere. We will go anywhere in order to satisfy this thirst before we will go and before we will look to God. And this is one of the saddest things about life is we will turn any good thing into a God thing. We will turn food into a God thing. We will turn drink into a God thing. We will turn sports into a God thing and marriage into a God thing and divorce into a God thing. We'll turn anything into a savior, a functional savior, a tower that we run to when we're dissatisfied and insecure. We'll look to our job or we'll look to our friends or we'll look to our money anywhere except God. And so Jesus, in the midst of this, even when we won't look at him, he came for us. You see, one of the saddest things about all of our functional saviors, and this is true for every single thing that you run to outside of Christ to satisfy your soul, is that functional savior is very similar in nature to the wine that they offer Jesus. You see, at first it wets the mouth And then that functional savior bites with bitterness. It creates addictions. It creates dependence upon the wrong thing. It creates hopelessness, disappointment, and despair. You look at your past just as I look at mine, and what you'll find is a graveyard of buckets. All kinds of attempts of things that we ask to carry the water that would one day satisfy our thirst. And every one of those buckets has holes. They all failed. And they will all fail. And that's why Jesus came. That in spite of the fact that we are so committed to look anywhere except for the source, 
the source came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And you understand that Jesus, he endured this kind of terrifying thirst while bearing our sin in order to rescue us from everlasting thirst. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, he actually spoke of the reality in Luke chapter 16 that there are people in hell right now because they refuse to trust and look to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord who are begging those in heaven to simply dip their finger into the water, reach down through the chasm and touch the edge of their tongue. And Jesus said, this is the reality of hell. You see, hell is, it's godlessness. It's where God is not. Hell is darkness. There's no light. And hell is thirst. Eternal thirst without any hope whatsoever of relief. And if this is the case, then just imagine for those who trust Jesus Christ, when you continue to read through the scriptures of the promises that this God who, who died for us and rose from the dead, you think of the promises that he continues to make to us. You say, well, if that's hell, then what is heaven? This is heaven. Revelation chapter seven, verse 17 says, the lamb is in the midst of the throne and will be their shepherd. The lamb is Jesus Christ. He's literally in the midst of all of his sheep and he's the shepherd. And what is he doing? He's guiding them to springs of living water. This is heaven. It's full of Christ and full of light and it's full of refreshment and satisfaction. And so I want to encourage you with a few applications as we close. The first thing is in response to this, let's trust Christ and find life. I know that there are some who are listening right now and you've never trusted Christ. Maybe you never thought you needed to. Maybe you think that life, that there's something else out there that maybe will be able to satisfy your soul. I want you to know. I want you to know that there are things on this earth that will that, will, that when they touch your lips, they will feel wet. They will feel satisfying, but then suddenly they will bite with bitterness. And I want to encourage you. Would you consider Christ this morning? I want you to know that there has never been somebody who has loved you like Jesus Christ. This Christ came for you. He lived on this earth without sin for you and for me. He he lived a perfect life full of truth and love and grace, and he did it for us. When he went to that garden, he didn't want to go to the cross. In fact, he prayed to his father. In Matthew 26, he prays, Father, would you let this cup pass from me? But nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The cup that he was referring to was the wrath of God, that when we sin against God, he is holy that God in his holiness and righteousness reacts to that sin with wrath. It's almost as if he pours wrath into a cup that he's preparing to give to us when we look at him in the face and he's gonna force us to drink it. And yet Jesus Christ in all of his grace and all of his love, he came to this earth in all of the cups that had been reserved for each one of us because we had sinned against Christ. Jesus said, I want you to pour them all into one cup. 
And Jesus drank that cup. It wasn't a satisfying cup. It did not take away his thirst. It created the most intense thirst so that you and so that I could be satisfied forever. The hymn the hymn says, death and the curse were in our cup, and Christ was full for thee. Thou hast drained the last dark drop, and tis empty now for me. So if you know Christ as Savior and Lord, and you hear this, your response must be this morning to rejoice. You need to sing right now. You should want to sing right now. For you are going to be satisfied forever in heaven. And the lamb is going to continue to lead you to living springs of water. All of the wrath has been averted because he's taken it all. You must rejoice. And for those of you who have never trusted Christ, this is the morning to trust. It is the morning to trust him. Did you know that you look through the pages of scripture and you get to the very last page. There is one final invitation to all of humanity. And do you know what it is? This is what he says. Let the one who is thirsty come. Last invitation. Are you thirsty? Come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. This is the amazing thing. He invites you to come. He invites you to take hold of a water of life that's going to satisfy your soul. And you don't have to pay for it because it's already been paid for. The only thing you can do is admit that you need that cup. To place your faith and belief in Jesus Christ who made that cup available by dying on a cross and by rising from the dead and confessing him as Lord of all. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And so right there in your living room, if you do not know Jesus Christ, I invite you to pray to him now. And you can pray something like this. Father in heaven, I, I come to you because I am in need. I come to Jesus because I'm thirsty. My soul is thirsty. I have tried everything the world, everything the world has to give. And it's only left me thirstier. But I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he never sinned. And I believe he died on a cross. I believe he was buried and I believe he rose from the dead. And in doing so, he became Lord of all, even Lord of my life. Would you save me and forgive me? And would you satisfy my soul forever? In Jesus' name, amen. Now, friends, listen, if you just prayed to receive Christ, we want to celebrate with you and we want to help you. It's the greatest thing you've ever done. And so would you at this moment in time, or maybe sometime this week, if you want to think about this, if you want to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, you can just send a text, PBC1, and you can send it to 313131. We want to be able to follow up with you this week to encourage you to answer questions, to to talk about Jesus Christ. There's two other applications I want to share that are really specific to believers in Jesus Christ. The first is this, is for those of us who are in Christ, let's keep returning to the well. 
You know, there are many times that I have looked within the scriptures and I have seen him made, make promises in the Bible that says that if we will drink the water that he gives, that we won't be thirsty again. And yet there are many times where I come back to Christ and I say, Christ, I don't understand. My heart is thirsty again. And I look at my church family and so many of their hearts every single day are thirsty again. You see, John chapter four, verse 14, Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And so many times I have come to the Lord and said, God, you said I'll never be thirsty again. So why is it? And then God opened up my eyes and I'm so thankful that he did. And he answered to me in that moment, the only way I know Jesus Christ to answer, he always answers the same way. And that is through his word. Precisely, we keep reading. And in this passage, in John chapter 4, verse 14, he continues by giving clarity to his first sentence. He says, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And do you see it? The water that Christ gives to us does not eliminate once for all thirst while we're here on the earth. No, the water that he gives us, it says he makes a spring. Springs satisfy our thirst, not by removing thirst forever, but by quenching thirst every time we come back and drink. God never satisfies us. You need to understand this, Providence family. God never satisfies us in a way that causes us to never need to come back to him. Because it's all about a relationship where every day we feel thirsty, every day we feel like our heart is dissatisfied. It's an alarm clock that says, come back, come back to the well, come back to prayer, come back to my word, come back to my people, come back and drink. And you know what happens when we do? It's the last application. And that is that we need to share his love and truth. What happens is this, is that when we find our satisfaction in Jesus Christ, our once dry heart becomes the river's mouth of all that we once craved. In John chapter seven, I'll close with this. He says, Any, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you see what that says? It says that when we're thirsty as Christians and we return to that well, not just in the morning, but maybe in the morning, the afternoon and the night, we keep looking to the Lord. We keep coming when we're thirsty. We keep drinking from his word. We keep spending time with Jesus Christ. And what happens is that we who once thirsted for joy and who thirsted for forgiveness and thirsted for a lack of shame, thirsted for hope, well, we now become the channel of these things for others. You see, as Christians, we have forgiveness to give because we've been forgiven so much. We who were once so thirsty to be forgiven now become the river's mouth of grace that we give to other people. We now have love to give. We now have resources to share. You think about the resources that we have to share right now that actually bears witness of our faith in Jesus Christ and let me just say, Providence family, this is just for Providence family. Your generosity, even last week, was so encouraging to me. And this is why. Because on this earth, finances, they are a 
tool that we leverage for security. And in a moment when security is, is so shaken, for you to have been so generous so that we could give to people in need, it's just such a testimony of your faithfulness and trust in the Lord. And I simply want to thank you for the encouragement that that was to me. And to so many others, you became the river's mouth of resources to share. And we become the river's mouth of good news that needs to be told. Providence, I want to encourage you this week to look for opportunities to share your faith. To be able to tell of the one who came. That even though he created this amazing world with great design and we sinned against him and created this world of brokenness. Is that God in his grace, he came and he sent Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin, to endure thirst, really, that none of us have ever experienced. And if we will trust in Jesus Christ, is that we will be able to return and experience some of the blessings of his created design. And so I urge you, Providence, all that we once needed, all that made us thirsty, you keep coming to that well, and he's going to make our heart the river's mouth of everything we once craved so that we can help others. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing. Father in heaven, we look to you in faith, and we thank you for your grace in our life. And I pray now, I pray now, God, that you would help us to respond. Would you help us to respond in faith as we sing to you? Would you help us to respond in faith as we give? God, would you help us to respond by running now to the well throughout this day, showing our kids how to run to the well. And I pray, Father, that you would change people's lives who feel so shaken as they see us holding fast to the rock that will never be shaken. So we love you. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.